0: Welcome to Streams of Progress, where we bring you weekly conversations with many of the UAE's prominent leaders and thinkers. Each of our guests are actively contributing to the vitality of the UAE community and economy. Our goal in the podcast is to inspire you to drive progress in your professional and personal life. Hey everyone, this is Matt, and today on Streams of Progress, I am joined by Rana Nawas, who is the creator and host of the When Women Win podcast. As you'll hear, Rana is an active, passionate, and powerful champion of gender parity in the workplace. I learned a ton from this discussion, which was full of specific and practical steps that companies can take to reduce the gender gap across their organization. So join us as we dive into the conversation. I'm here with Rana Nawaz, the creator and host of the podcast, When Women Win. So, Rana, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Glad to have you here with us. We appreciate it. So, you've done many things in your career with McKinsey, the Dubai government, with GE. Um, you were the director of the local chapter of Elevate, and now you have the podcast, When Women Win. So, many things. But before we get into all those details, and we're going to cover all of that, um, tell us a little bit about your background, you know, your history, where you're from, your growing up, et cetera.
1: Sure. I'm blessed, I say, to have grown up here, actually, in the UAE. I was born in England, and my father was Palestinian, my mom Lebanese, and we moved to the UAE, went to Sharjah, in fact, Mm -hmm. because Sharjah was the really happening place back in the 80s.
0: (laughs) Back in the day. Yeah. Yeah, So
1: we moved here in 84, and I've been here on and off since. Mm. And I went to school in Shwefat Sharjah, a great experience, really diverse school, really, really diverse. So... um, I think I got my appreciation and curiosity and interest in diversity probably from a very young age. Mm
0: -hmm. Okay, and so how long were you in uh, the UK? Did you spend a lot of time growing up there, or no?
1: Well, I was born there. We left when I was five. Okay. And then I went to school here, and I went back to the UK when I was 17. I went to university there, uh, got my engineering degree, uh, undergrad, grad, and then I uh, I worked in London for a couple of years, mm-hmm. and then moved back to do, to the UAE. In fact, this time I moved to Dubai.
0: Okay, okay. And so engineering, how did you how did you pick that as a career path back? You know, why did you choose
1: I don't know if you know much about Fat's school, <laughs> but, uh, it's a very strong science school. Mm. Uh, at least it was back in the day. And, um, we were encouraged and pushed, you know, we did a lot of maths. We did a lot of physics and and chemistry. Mm -hmm. So really for me, it was either medicine or or engineering. Mm -hmm. I didn't really have a bigger, I think I once dabbled with the idea of uh, politics, philosophy and economics. There's this great course at Oxford called PPE. Mm. Um, but my headmistress wouldn't hear of it. (laughs) She just wouldn't hear of it. So it was either, you know, medicine or engineering. So I went for engineering, um, I really, really enjoyed the course. Mm-hmm. And although I've never worked as an engineer, I think it served me really well. Mm-hmm. Uh, problem solving, you know, analytical. Uh, the the analytical foundation it gives you, the experimentation it encourages. I really gained a lot, I think, from mm-hmm. an engineering degree.
0: And so you have, I guess, a technical mind and a background as well. So everything that you do, you apply a very rigorous, you know, set of process or analysis to.
1: Yeah, and that's a really important point. I have a technical mind. I have technical training. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm not scared of cogs and circuits or anything (laughs) like that. You know, that all just, that makes sense when you're trained. Um, But it's important to note to listeners that just because you have an engineering or a science degree, a STEM degree, doesn't Mm -hmm. mean you have to work in a lab. Mm. So there's a lot of extroverts like myself, you know, people who are interested in sales and marketing and things like that, who also have technical abilities. So you can go into a STEM degree, Mm -hmm. as I did in engineering, and then work in any field. You can work in, in, as I said, you know, in something much more commercial Mm -hmm. or uh, communications or You know, your your degree doesn't define you, and a science degree does not mean you're in a lab for the rest of your life.
0: Mm -hmm. And you're a case in point, I believe, because your first role after finishing your master's was with McKinsey. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, yeah. In fact, sixty percent of my intake Mm -hmm. at McKinsey was uh, were engineers. Okay, because what they were hiring. So, uh, McKinsey is a management consultancy, Mm -hmm. and they come to you know the Oxford's and the Cambridge, and they try to hire in batches. And it was really interesting that the, the problem-solving capabilities they were looking for, they would find a lot of in engineers.
0: Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. Yeah. As compared to something like the business school or even, you know, the humanities, something like that.
1: Yeah. I mean, they, they hired from everything. I mean, there were people with English degrees the yeah. people with, uh, you know, probably art degrees. I don't know. <laughs> um, but uh, for sure, I remember the stat, it was about 60% of our intake were engineers.
0: So mm-hmm. yeah. And what was your experience like working for McKinsey and consulting?
1: Um, it was an awkward time to be a consultant. It was 2000 to 2002. So Hmm. it was, um, dot bombish.
0: Exactly. Yeah. And the Y2K and all that.
1: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So it wasn't a very healthy time Mm -hmm. to be consultant. There wasn't a lot going on Hmm. in terms of projects, Um, it was, you know, they call it a a period of uncertainty and uh, consultants do really well in booms or busts, Mm. but not in periods of uncertainty. Mm -hmm. Uh, so it wasn't a very exciting time. Mm
0: -hmm. I'm sure you learned a lot through that process, right? Because during challenging times is when you get, you know, the most exposure or the most kind of,
1: well, I did learn a lot because it's really a school. Right. So I learned, for example, the biggest thing I think of, uh, is how to give and receive feedback. Mm. I mean, they are super big on feedback and by feedback, I mean, often criticism. <laughs> <laughs> so you, so you get to develop a thick skin from a very young age, yes. um, but it's more than thick skin, right? You, you learn to ask for it. You learn, you become passionate about self-improvement. Mm-hmm. And so that's something that uh, I did learn and has, and has, stayed with me. And I think it's a really important trait I have, which is that I'm constantly trying to get better. So I have absolutely no problem asking you to criticize me. Mm, you mm. Know? I mean, I do, I genuinely look at it as constructive.
0: Right. Yeah. They say that, uh, feedback is a gift. Is that how you view it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously <laughs> I mean the, the, the one caveat is, mm. uh, and I've learned this through my career. So I have 17 years in the corporate world Yeah. And you do want to be careful who you take feedback from. Hmm. So not everybody means it kindly or has your best interest at heart. Right. And this is something that I would use to caution, especially senior women, Hmm. because senior women are often given feedback in quotes um, about how, you know, bossy, aggressive, whatever. And these are words that they tend to apply to senior women and not senior men exhibiting exactly the same behaviors. Mm -hmm. So feedback is a gift, but you need to know that your gift giver has your best interest at heart.
0: Mm -hmm. So let's jump into it then. So, I mean, 17 years corporate experience, Um, I've read, you know, some of your blogs and some of your, the posts that you have, and you talk about the challenges that women face in corporate world, um, and particularly maybe in the Middle East as well. So what are some of the trends or themes that you're seeing?
1: Yeah, I actually, I don't think it's particularly in the Middle East. In fact, I think uh, the, what I've seen, what I know, because I run Elevate Dubai, and we are plugged into the global Elevate network. So Elevate Mm -hmm. is the world's premier business women's network. Mm And so what I see is that what we struggle with here, they're the same issues all over the world. Mm, Okay. Um, Definitely. I think, in fact, I was having a conversation with a friend the other day, and what I realized was if you're in Dubai, actually, I think the government is a bit ahead of the private sector. In terms of women, empowering women, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: which is unusual in the rest of the world. Like Mm -hmm. if I were, you know, passionate about, I mean, if I were living in, you know, the West, in the U.S., for example, I would be really devoting a lot of resources to lobbying government for better legislation, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas Mm -hmm. here, interestingly, I find in Dubai, the government is really pushing women forward Mm. and the private sector is lagging. Okay. That's my observation. Mm -hmm. Um... What was your question, Matt? Sorry, I got <laughs> carried away with that
0: one. No, no, I, I know that you're passionate about the subject. I think um, just the question is... Y- some of the key themes, you know, that I've seen and just read, you know, about, and clearly I'm a man, but I consider myself an ally and advocate, you know, of these and issues. And
1: feminist, I hope.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. As the husband of an executive woman, you know, I, I clearly support, you know, her career progression and everything that, that she's doing. Um, so a, a few key things. So there's, um, you know, workforce equality in terms of pay gaps. I um, want to get your feedback on that. Mm. Um, in terms of just the promotion of women and, and like you said, the feedback before and just the career progression of women, the types of roles that they will typically take. I want to dive into that. Um, And then some of the benefits, you know, in terms of maternity and all that, I'm curious about your your views on that. So, you know, if we can explore some of those areas.
1: Sure. Okay. So let's start with the the problem, Mm. uh, defining the problem. The problem is that we have very few women in senior roles, Mm -hmm. in leadership roles. So at, at the intake at the sort of bottom end of the pyramid, if you like, we have about 50% women. Mm. By the time you get to the top, if we're talking CEOs, it's 5%. If we're talking, um, you know, women in leadership positions, so C-suite, mm-hmm. the you know, half of the companies in the world don't have any women in the C-suite. So those that's, that's the nature of the problem. Mm is that is that an issue yes because we know research shows and there's no denying it anymore that diverse teams outperform non-diverse teams so mm. having more women in leadership in fact increasing the number of women in leadership teams from 0 to 30% will enable a company to add 15% net revenue margin
0: so clearly imp- impacts the financials
1: it is a finan- it's an economic uh, equation right there is so now there 's no doubt number one that it, more diversity or more gender balance at senior leadership improves your economic uh, improves your financial position mm-hmm. number two we don 't have that, so the question is why
2: mm.
1: and uh, what I've, what I find is you lose women. All along the way. Hmm. Right. It's not just, you know, somebody, you know, the CEO doesn't want women. No, it doesn't work like that at all. In fact, a lot of CEOs, you know, the tone at the top is quite correct, you know, and and they understand the economic imperative Mm -hmm. and they're interested in doing it, but they they don't know how Hmm. or they think they know how there is nobody saying, I don't want women. Everybody's saying we want women. Okay, so the question is then why aren't they there?
0: Yeah, what's happening?
1: What's happening? So things are happening all along the way. And it starts really at something as basic as job descriptions. Hmm. So I'm going to go through the whole value chain of how we get yeah, women please, to the top. Please, yes. So if you start with job descriptions, it, there's, there are algorithms that can tell you, based on the language in your job description... How many what percent of your applicants are going to be male or female because yep. there is language that attracts or turns off genders sure, both genders so that's number one you want more women in engineering positions? Where are you advertising and what language are you using mm-hmm. all right so that's just job job description then fine, great you get the CV in then you have um, and
0: I want to ask a quick question yeah, about that so the same content of the role, the same responsibilities can clearly be described in Myriad different ways. And so, what you're saying is the language that you use to describe that job should be non gender biased. Is that what you're saying?
1: Yeah. It could be gender neutral or yeah. if you're actually trying to get more women into the role, okay. then you need to use certain words more than others. Okay. Understood. Yeah? Like, uh, you know, for some reason, women don't like the word competitive. If you okay. put the word, you know, you need to be competitive. Mm. It turns them off. If mm-hmm. you put team, you know, collaborative mm-hmm. or a team player or something that they're more likely to, okay. you know, Got it, it depends on your objective, mm. but you can gender ne- make it gender neutral. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. Then the CVs come in. And there is, so now I'm going to talk about unconscious bias, mm-hmm. right? And then the person reading, I don't know if you know the story of Heidi and, uh, no. what's the story? Heidi and Howard.
2: No, tell me. Okay.
1: So this is a really important story, like the cornerstone of unconscious bias and everybody needs to Google this. <laughs> okay. And there's a study done many, many times where a CV of Heidi was given to business class students, business um, school students. Mm-hmm. The exact same CV hmm. was given with just the name changed sure. to Howard. And the, the CVs say exactly the same thing. And then you ask the students, what do you think? You know, how competent are they? How likable do you want to work for them? Hmm. And guess what? Right. Just the name, just the female name makes her less likable.
0: Yep.
1: Right. Yep. Even though they, they, they might give them the same, Competency. So, Mm -hmm. um, so we judge CVs even just on a name. Mm. So, what's really important is to remove demographic information from CVs, and there are there are software solutions that can do this now. Mm. If you want to eliminate the unconscious bias of somebody looking at a CV saying, "Hey, this is a guy, and he went to my college, and he likes my my team, Mm. he supports my football team," I'm going to give him the interview. This happens subconsciously Mm -hmm. all day long,
0: all the time. Yeah.
1: all the time, and you cannot train it out of people. Right. Because so you said it's
0: unconscious, sur- so it's not intentional. Is exactly. That right? yeah. It's
1: not intentional. Mm. Absolutely. And this is the trouble. So mm. how do you address it if it's not mm. intentional? So you have to circumvent it. Mm-hmm. So what what people are doing now, uh, are companies that are serious about improving gender equality, they are using software solutions to remove demographic information. Yes. From
0: CVs. So um, meaning the name, obviously, if there's any reference to a gender. Um, some people include like a picture with their CV, which is crazy. So get that out the door. Um, what other kind of information do you know? Yeah.
1: I mean, things like, you know, if there's a football team they support or something like that, that's just not necessary.
0: Yes. You know,
1: basically stripping it down to Mm. the core skills.
0: Sure. Okay.
1: Um, okay. So then you, you've seen the, the CVs and you, you uh, invite people in for interview Mm. and what questions do you ask? Mm -hmm. Even that the interview process, Mm is laced with uh danger because again, subconsciously the mm. interviewers will go much easier on someone who looks like them yes. or has a similar background to them. Yes. Yeah. And so for example, a male interviewer will be much more lenient with a uh, a young man who looks like him versus a woman. Yeah. And so what we find, or what the not what we, what the research shows the research shows that gut instinct is a terrible predictor of performance. Mm, mm-hmm. You must never go with your gut. Mm. All right. In interviews algorithms are much better predictors mm-hmm. of performance than interviews. Mm. So the takeaway here is you want to ask close ended questions. Mm-hmm. You ask the same questions at every interview mm-hmm. and you make a record of the answers and wait and grade rank, the answers in real time. Mm. That's the only way to circumvent unconscious bias coming in.
0: Mm -hmm. if I think about that I mean then why do you need to do an in-person interview couldn't you just do this kind of online couldn't it be a typewritten format or something or absolutely I can be okay
1: absolutely I mean that would be a better predictor of performance the research shows Mm -hmm. you know Mm. but we have this this thing in our heads that oh I've got to interview them and check this cultural fit and whatever
0: yeah I mean what about like you know, working with somebody that you get along with, you know, that you would enjoy working with, which can improve team morale, which all, improves all overall productivity.
1: Yeah. Great. So conduct an interview process and uh, let the algorithm pick you five competent uh, candidates yes. and then you can do the cultural fit, Sure. but be careful there. Right. <laughs> because then, you know, you, you need more than one person in the room because right. you don't want to be stacking against you know, someone from a different background or someone, you know, right. again, no, I, I take your
0: point. So it's like you, what you're saying is that we like people like ourselves, yeah. you know? And so we just need to, the selection committee needs to be a panel of very diverse people. So they're picking diverse people to join their team. Exactly. Is that right? Okay. Exactly. I'm with you.
1: Cool. Um, and then we, so then they're, they're in, yay. <laughs> yeah,
0: they got the job, uh, they the got offer, the job. congrats.
1: And then, and then you're <laughs> assessing them, right? for sure. Promotions and stuff. And then we hit them with a self-assessment process. Mm. Oh my God.
0: <laughs> so. The dreaded self-assessment.
1: Yes. But the data shows, mm. and this is data, this is research, this isn't our Nawaz, this mm. is Harvard. <laughs> okay. Um, that men consistently overrate themselves in self-assessments mm. and women consistently underrate themselves. Mm-hmm. Now for sure there's a confidence gap,
2: yeah.
1: but this has real impact, uh, on their performance, uh, on their promotion, because what happens is if you have a self-assessment, then you, you send the self-assessment results to your manager. Yeah. Now, if you two, if a man and a woman were of equal performance, mm-hmm. but the man overestimates and the woman underestimates, they subconsciously anchor. Yeah. Anchoring anchoring. It's the anchoring effect. So they anchor their manager either up or down. And as Mm -hmm. a result, even if they're performing exactly the same level, the man will get the higher performance rating. Mm. And this is a problem. Again, Mm -hmm. how do you solve it? Mm -hmm. Either you do away with self-assessments or
0: Mm -hmm.
1: you don't email the self-assessment to the manager until he's ranked
0: you. Okay. And
1: I say he consciously because most managers are men.
0: (laughs) Sure. Okay. So they wouldn't see it until after. No, I mean, that's just,
1: that's a suggestion because really the self, I mean, the whole performance appraisal process is fraught Hmm. with unconscious bias. Mm and, um, w- you know, we're socialized, Matt, we're socialized mm. to think men are leaders and mm. women are, you know, nurturers Sure. from a very young age in everything we look at and yeah. read and traditional
0: see. Traditional gender roles or something yeah, like that. Traditional yeah, Traditional
1: gender roles. Exactly. So even if we see like a woman who is performing and delivering, we just, it just clashes with something we've been taught mm. deep down, which mm-hmm. is no, she's, she's not the leader. He's supposed to be the leader. Mm. So we have to be very, very, um, um, conscious in overcoming that. Mm-hmm. And so this is one way, like the self-assessment way. Mm-hmm. Um, and also in perform. and the wor- words like aggressive mm-hmm. need to be removed from corporate dictionaries mm. because they always get hit. You know, they always get um, given to women. And uh, well, I don't say always, but senior women get called this a lot. I, I right. know. I was on a, in, in GE, I was on a f- sort of fast track, high potential, um, whatever you want path. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were 25 women from sales from G capital globally. Mm -hmm. And it was incredible to me that most of us, so we went through this very sort of time consuming, um, assessment. Mm. You know, they really like took the time. They appointed us independent assessor, independent mentor, like GE really invested a lot of resources mm-hmm. in, in helping us mm.
0: uh, to develop you in your career. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, it was the, the goal was that the mm. goal was to keep us in and develop us to leadership. Okay. But the interesting part I thought was that most of us women, When we were, you know, if if we, the one thing we had to work on Mm. was style flexing.
0: Okay. Consistently across the 25.
1: Consistently. Yeah. Most like the, like, I think it was, I I don't know the number, but it was everyone I talked
0: to, Mm -hmm.
1: which is astonishing. What the hell is style flexing? (laughs) Yeah. What does that mean? What does that even mean? What man has been told, you know, when you go into a room, you might have too much energy Mm. and so you might need to tone it down. And, Mm. you know, that's what we were being told.
2: Mm. You know, yeah.
1: no man gets told that when a man walks into a room and his energy is all high and shining, they're all like, Oh, natural leader, charisma, yeah. all this. And we were being told mm. it's great, but it can be intimidating to certain people. So flex your style. Yeah. Come on.
0: Yeah. It's unfair. You know, you know it's a double it's a, standard. It's a
1: real double standard. Sure. So, sure. and you know, and there's another thing, for example, I create these videos on LinkedIn. Yeah. And one of them was on speaking up and you find that when men speak up in meetings, Mm. they are perceived as 10% more competent
0: Mm.
1: when women speak up they're perceived as 14% less competent when they speak, when they speak just for speaking up. So double standard. Yeah.
0: That doesn't make any sense.
1: Yeah. It just pervades everything. So Mm. again, it has to be like, this is what we're up against. So Mm -hmm. this is why we don't have so many women in leadership. Mm -hmm. And then the last thing, you know, I'll mention is the, the pay gap. I mean, for me, this is huge. Like Mm -hmm. this is where I've been personally impacted. Mm. And, um, I mean, it's just that it's unacceptable that it happens and that it's so common. And again, nobody's coming out to say, oh, we want to pay women less for equal work. Of course yep. not. No. But it's an accumulation of all of these things that are happening along the way.
2: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And
1: where we are is, for example, they recently did a survey of the 350 biggest law firms in the U S and they found that female partners are being paid 44% less than male partners
0: for the same work. They're the, partners the
1: same at law title. firms. Yeah. Same, all title. 350 biggest company, biggest yeah. law firms, partner mm-hmm. level, 44% less. And you know that they've had to work longer and harder to get to partner level, mm-hmm. by the way.
0: Mm-hmm. To achieve what they have to, yeah. just to get there.
1: Yeah. J- so we have to work longer and harder uh, to get to the same level and then we get paid less when we get there.
0: Mm-hmm. So we were talking earlier that, you know, training then is, is not the issue or, or not the solution. Um, you know, and we were just talking offline before that you believe process and policy is going to help us, you know, achieve some of these objectives or, or, you know, eliminate these imbalances. So what are your thoughts on that?
1: Absolutely. Um, absolutely. I think that, you know, the intention is great and it's there Mm -hmm. and that's the training is really not going to cut it because we're we're talking about our primal biases Mm -hmm. wired in for a long, long time. So yeah, if you want real impact, Mm -hmm. Then you do need to look at your systems and processes that are sort of a, that are cumulatively pushing women at every yeah. stage. And As here we talked can,
0: about throughout the whole process. Yeah. yeah. And
1: and and here I'd really like to recommend to every CEO listening that they must read a book called What Works: hmm. Gender Equality in the Workplace. This is written by Professor Iris Bonet, At Harvard. In fact, she's the first person I interviewed for my podcast and she was the inspiration for my podcast because I thought her messages were so powerful and Mm. not out there.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And so the book, what works, it won, uh, you know, best business book of the FT in 2016. And it really lays all this out very nicely.
0: Mm -hmm. And what are some of the recommendations that you can share? Stuff I've
1: been talking about. I learned a lot from it. I learned a lot from my interview with, with professor Bonet and, uh, and our conversations ever since. And it's just, if you really want to have impact, you know, look at the small stuff
0: Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because
1: it is, it's a, it's an accumulation of small stuff.
0: Mm -hmm. And, uh, a personal question, you know, as the father of a young daughter, I want to give her everything in the world, obviously. Right. And I want her to be able to succeed in whatever career path she chooses. Um, how can I help set her up for that kind of success. And I know she's a long way away from a, you know, a career, but is there anything that you think that, because you, what you mentioned before is that there are these primal biases and things like that. Is there anything we can do as parents to help this?
1: The biggest impact is parents, mm-hmm. I think. So for example, there are books now called Good Night Stories for Rebel Girls, okay. which every parent needs to read to their daughters and sons. Mm-hmm. Because the point here is crushing the gender stereotypes mm-hmm. right we don't want to be reading stories about princesses mm-hmm. and princes who save the day mm. and this is important for our daughters and our sons you can't socialize the daughters to believe that they can do anything and then tell the sons no actually they
2: can't yeah you know yeah
1: so so if our overall objective is to make our daughters understand as my father did for me mm. that we could be anything and do anything mm-hmm. Then, what can we do? Sort of, how can we achieve that? So, one is definitely messaging in terms of the the stories we read. Right. And
0: so, we all love Disney, but no Sleeping Beauty (laughs) in the house. No
1: Sleeping Beauty, no Snow White, no Rapunzel,
0: no Cinderella. (laughs) I mean, the
1: list goes on. Exactly. The other interesting. Data point is that uh, sons and daughters learn gender roles more from their father mm. than their mother.
2: Okay.
1: So if you are seen by your children, mm-hmm to be in, you know, in the kitchen. Mm. If you cook, if you clean, if you, if you do stuff around the house, Mm -hmm. that actually has huge impact on the way your son and daughter see the world Mm -hmm. and, and the gender roles. Mm -hmm. So again, this is something that I got from my parents.
0: Mm -hmm. Actions speak louder than words. They're always watching and it's just, I would
1: see my dad hoovering. (laughs) Sure. You know, I'd see my dad flipping a burger on the barbecue.
0: Yes. Okay, yeah, I hear you. Um, and then the other thing I'm thinking about, again, in regards to my daughter is definitely we're reading her books, which were, you know, stories about powerful young girls and doing adventurous things and all different kinds of activities that they're doing, not just playing with a tea set, you know, obviously we're doing that. Um, and then as they get a little bit older, I want to challenge her to do kind of STEM kind of activities and things like that. And I know you're a proponent of that. So what are your what are your thoughts about STEM and how do we encourage kids to do that?
1: There's a lot that can be done at a STEM level now, more and more activities. So the little engineer and and things Mm -hmm. like that. But I think my focus also is to, to try to encourage my sons, uh, to play with girls to, to to try to show them that there really isn't a difference at a very young age. So it's not a matter of encouraging girls to go in STEM. It's a matter of children, Mm -hmm. encouraging children and keeping them there, Mm -hmm. you know? So for example, my son, I, I get him pink t-shirts. Mm. I, I want him, you know, I got him a kitchen, a toy kitchen. He loves his toy kitchen since yes. he was a kid. He sees his dad cooking. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he likes that. Yeah. But in terms of getting daughters into STEM, I think, again, it's role models. You, it, It's all what I'm seeing in my work is it comes back to role models. You cannot be what you cannot see. hmm and once you see it, you believe it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm sorry for the cliches. No, no. But but that's it's true, right? That's so, yeah. true. That's mm-hmm. reality. So when these little girls see the science teacher is a is a lady, their computer engineering teacher is a lady, mm-hmm. um, you know, or they're watching a movie with a, with Doctor Who is a woman, mm-hmm. you know, these things have real impact.
0: You know, along the, those lines, and speaking about children, and then going tying it back to career, you know, in the workplace, um, women often have to make the trade off you know, as they become pregnant and then decide what they want to do. And maternity policies are often not, you know, the most beneficial in their favor. Um, what are your thoughts around that, that whole period of time, a very sensitive period of time in a woman's life as as they're also in the career world?
1: Yeah. It's very delicate for women because their career is in ascendancy right around the same time they start a family.
2: Mm, yeah.
1: uh, so it's, it has to be Managed. I mean, women. You know, the the spectrum of women is very large, right? Mm. So women have different choices and decisions and priorities to make. And I think our role in the business world is to support whatever the choice. So, for example, some women might, might want to take two or three years out to be with their family full time, mm-hmm. and then come back in. Mm-hmm. You know, why why don't we make that possible? Mm. Right? That's that's easy. Mm-hmm. I would think that's an easy fix. Mm. Right, because you have these. For example, um, if if she's been with a company for five or ten years, you know someone who knows the company, knows the industry, uh, knows your product, uh, trained in your culture. Go, Why would you lose talent like that?
0: Mm-hmm. You've already invested in that person. You've already so invested in back Yeah, you know?
1: and it's so much cheaper, <laughs> right, sure. than, than yes. bringing someone else up the learning curve. Yes. So I think there's a huge missed opportunity here mm. in terms of women who want to leave for a couple of years and then come back. Mm-hmm. I think this. Is a, this should be a big focus. Mm-hmm. I think also we lose women at a very basic level when it comes to maternity leave because, for example, here the statutory is 45 days. Mm-hmm. I mean, 45 days, and, and many countries in the world, not many, but like, you know, big countries, yep. <laughs> yeah. they don't have federal, you know, maternity policy. How yes. can you expect a new mom? Mm to leave her child. And plus, by the way, you know, you're not paying for childcare. Mm -hmm. So they have a a six, assuming they start their maternity leave right when they pop, Mm -hmm. you know, that's Mm. six weeks. And then they have to go back to the office and who's going to look after their kid and who's going to pay for it. And you know, it's really, really not, uh, designed to keep women in the workforce. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of maternity leave, for example, when I started uh, co leading the GE Women's Network, that was one of the first things I looked at.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And our policy here in Dubai was 45 days per, gober- per government. And then I benchmarked a bunch of multinationals and brought the data to GE, mm-hmm. and, and they listened. Mm-hmm. And a few months later, changed the policy to three months full pay and up to three months unpaid. At least that was back then. I'm not sure what it is now.
0: Well done. Congrats, Uh, you know, for doing that. It
1: was an achievement and women needed it. And, you know, and then a couple of years later we had, um, or maybe not even a couple, maybe just the next year we put a pumping room, Mm -hmm. you know, for ladies who are nursing, still nursing. These are not controversial measures. These are small things that any company can do Mm. to improve you know, it, to make it a better place for women to work. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, if you're a startup, you know, someone taking six months out is problematic. I get that. But, you know, I'm not talking about, you, you know, companies being in startup phase, mm-hmm. like most companies. I'm talking about SMEs, yes. established SMEs and, uh, you know, corporates.
0: Multinationals. Yeah. yeah.
1: I'm talking about the places that employ most, most women mm-hmm. are not in the, you know, infancy Mm -hmm.
0: stage. So in the roles that you had with GE, you were working in, uh, GCAS, which is an aviation, um, leasing business. Is that, is that right? Yep. Yeah. And so, you know, that's typically seen as a man's world of financing aircraft. And I want to just ask about your experience in in that world.
1: Yeah. Well, I had a lot of fun (laughs) in aircraft leasing I was one of the few women, it's true, in aviation. Aviation is not a very woman-friendly mm. um, industry and uh, nor is finance. So mm. <laughs> the world of aviation <laughs> finance, we're few and far between. Double hitter, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, my team, my deal team were mostly men. Um, uh, I say mostly, I think they were all men, mostly older. And my markets were very interesting. I was covering Africa, Turkey, and Lebanon. So what I found particularly interesting was that as a professional, I needed a differentiator, Mm -hmm. right? Everyone needs it as a salesperson, rather. You know, Mm. everybody needs their USP. And for me, it came rather naturally. So I'm there, you know. traveling around all these countries, negotiating with CEOs of airlines, trying to get them to take my uh, aviation solutions. Mm -hmm. My competition all looked the same, Mm. right? My competition was all these stale, pale males.
0: Yes, an empty suit.
1: Uh, And a suit. (laughs) (laughs) A stale, pale male in a dark suit. So actually, uh, being a woman has... uh, you know, worked against me in, in, in some areas, specifically in pay Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and, and potentially in some opportunity, but really in this instance, it's worked for me. Mm -hmm. You know, when I walk into an airline's offices, um, I have this natural differentiator that is an advantage. I'm Mm -hmm. a woman, I'm a young woman. Mm -hmm. And of course it came with challenges like, you know, uh, building my credibility at a young age, but actually I found my age to be more of a barrier mm-hmm. than my gender.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, clearly, engineering background, master's in engineering, very technically competent, 17 years in corporate. I mean, once you were there in the offices of the CEO, or whoever, that unique selling point of you being a young woman who is also a leader, I mean, it, certainly it helped, you said.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, again, because I can speak their language. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, like you can't just say, okay, I'm a young woman. I get in there Mm. and it's done, right? No, 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 no. You have to maintain the conversation. You have to, you know, they have to grow from the conversation. Right. So yeah, I think it it worked out well for me. It was win-win. I had a great time, great experiences, um, you know, very colorful characters, uh, the CEOs of airlines.
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. So, um, you mentioned earlier about the podcast and I definitely want to dig into mm-hmm. that. Um, so when women win is a podcast based here in the UAE and uh, tell us a little bit more about the guiding vision and, and what you're doing with that platform.
1: I'm finding when women win to be one of the most rewarding experiences of my life. So I started it uh, late last year And really, if you'd asked me about a year ago, if I'd be a podcaster, I wouldn't have known probably what it meant. Mm. And I just read this book that I mentioned earlier, What Works, and I really wanted to know more. And I reached out to the professor who wrote it and she said, uh, you know, for an interview and she said, yes. Mm. I'm like, hang on a minute.
0: What? (laughs) That was easy. Yeah.
1: And... And so I thought, well, hang on, if I'm going to interview this incredible professor who's got these messages that everybody should hear, I Mm want to create a platform Mm -hmm. for women with messages Mm -hmm. to help them get the word out. Yep. And that's really how it started. So she's my first episode, Professor Iris Bonet, uh, of One Woman Win. Mm-hmm. And that's, that really got me thinking about starting the podcast. And then as I, as I sort of delved more into it, what it became was, you know what? I want to give women everywhere access to role models.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So if I think of, for example, a young woman in GE, working in GE, or any other corporation, or any star, star, um, SME or startup... We're so busy with our day to day. Mm -hmm. We don't have time to go out and meet and network with people, with like minded women. And if we don't have senior women in our organization reaching out to us, we we don't get exposed to role models.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I think, and I said this earlier, I think it all comes back to role models. So so the purpose of When Women Win now Mm -hmm. is to give women everywhere access to awesome female role models. Mm -hmm. And so every episode is an amazing woman. It's a weekly show. Mm -hmm. and these women share their inspirational journeys because everybody's journey is different, Mm. but also I try to drive them to share some practical tips Mm. that we, us women, us listeners, can apply to our life right away to improve are a lot either professionally or personally.
0: Mhm. Mhm. And uh, how many episodes have you had so far? 20. Oh, congratulations. <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> congratulations. Yeah. And I'm sure you love all of your guests equally, but <laughs> for t- sure. <laughs> tell us about one or two of your favorites, you know, some moments that really shine for you.
1: Sure. I mean, they're, as you rightly point out, they're all amazing yes. and you'll know this when you go, I mean, it's on iTunes, it's on, um, SoundCloud, you know, you can go and you can look, it's on my website, rananawas.com. So mm-hmm. you can go and see the the ladies I've interviewed. Um, they're all very different. In fact, part of the goal was to keep it quite diverse. Mm-hmm. So for example, the first episode I've already mentioned is with an academic, mm-hmm. you know, uh, the, the next one is with an entrepreneur. Uh, episode four sticks with me because uh, it's my first interview with a, a filmmaker. And Vibha Bakshi is an Indian filmmaker who created this documentary called Daughters of Mother India about sexual violence in India. Hmm. And this documentary became a movement in India. And it's had such profound social impact in India. And so talking to her and understanding how that came about and her, you know, the challenges she faced in making this documentary Mm -hmm. uh, was really something. Um, You know, I interviewed, for example, Haben Girma, the first deaf-blind graduate of Harvard Law School. Wow. And... You know, Christina Kuzmich, who's a YouTube sensation. She's a very famous mom. <laughs> okay. Uh, so they're all different. They're all um, really fun. I mean, honestly, Matt, I I just I find it so. I find every woman so inspirational. And every every interaction so enriching. Yes. I mean, that's the reason I do.
0: When mm-hmm. women win. Mm-hmm. So you get a lot out of it personally. Yes. And I can tell you, and I've listened to many of your episodes, oh, and you. you know, fantastic interviews. You know, oh, thank and the you. quality of the information, and as you said, very practical advice and tips. You know, coming out for not only women, but you know, for everybody.
1: Absolutely. When I created, I have women in mind, but mm-hmm. I have so many men I mm-hmm. know coming up to me saying, "Hey, I listened to the interview with X and Y, and I, I found that really interesting, and I learned so much.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So it's actually we're learning. I mean, not just listen me. I'm learning. The listeners are learning, men and women, because everybody's journey is different. And so for somebody, for example, to talk about uh, education for refugees, mm. right? Mm-hmm. The, I had recently the CEO of the Ablaziz Ghirir Education Foundation, Maysa Jalboot. And, you know, you don't think about education in that way. And so somebody comes along who, who's like a 20-year veteran of education philanthropy mm-hmm. and opens your eyes. And same for Dr. Alma Obama, yeah. you know, education and philanthropy in Western Kenya. And she takes kids from four years old to 21, uh, sorry, from four to 25 in Western Kenya to make sure that they're put on the right path and they stay there Mm -hmm. and this is President Obama's sister Mm. and she's she's an incredible inspiration Mm so... All the stories are different, very enriching, and lessons for everyone, you rightly say. Yeah, men and women.
0: What's the future of the podcast? You're going to continue to interview these women, and then is there anything else that you want to kind of build out of this?
1: For the moment, I think we're still very early stage. So Mm. it's about growth, growth, growth. So I'll definitely want to keep the weekly rhythm. Mm -hmm. I definitely want to keep interviewing amazing women. So if any of your listeners have any suggestions or ideas for who they'd like on my show, Mm -hmm. uh, please get in touch. I'm very active on Instagram at Renanawas and through my website I'm reachable as well And so, yeah, I want to just keep doing what I'm doing for the moment. I don't have an end goal per se. It's growth. I Mm -hmm. mean, it's growth, growth, growth. And I have such a long runway.
0: Right. (laughs) There's so much that can be done. And as you said, I think just continuing to get the message out there consistently with high quality, amazing women who are doing fantastic in their own right in so many different fields, um, I think providing those role models for, for everybody is, is so important.
1: Yeah. And the feedback keeps me going, you know, mm-hmm. the impact if, you know, for me, it's about two things, um, you know, number one, enrichment, like self, uh, you know, contentment mm-hmm. and two is impact. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I see people, and, or people come up to me, or send me messages on Instagram saying, "Hey, I love, I love this," or "I love that interview," or you know, and it really, it's really everything <laughs> that is impact.
0: Let's switch over to uh, some rapid fire questions. Please, is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. Okay. And you don't have to answer these quickly. It's up to you, okay. as you wish. So, what is your favorite book that you love to give away as a gift? <laughs>
1: I asked that question.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) I've never been asked it, but I ask that every week. Um, outliers by Malcolm Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah. And why do you like it? Because it, uh, shatters myths. It actually, it puts a value on hard work, Hmm. you know, and it shows that there really is. And for me, it's very comforting. There really is no such thing as a self-made man or woman. Hmm. You are. Where you are because a confluence of factors and circumstances, mm-hmm. many of which are out of your control. Mm-hmm. And I think it's very humbling to know that.
0: So tell me about one of your heroes. Who is, who is it that you look up to or really inspires you?
1: I'm inspired every day by the working mom. Hmm. Because being a mom is really hard. Uh, being a full-time mom is really hard. Being a working woman is really hard. And so being a working mom is, is really, really tough. And there's billions of women all over the world doing it every single day. And these are the women who inspire me.
0: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm.
1: I don't have, I mean, uh, an idol or anything like that.
0: Mm -hmm. That's healthy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so everybody's familiar in Dubai with the huge billboards that we have on Sheikh Zayed Road the ones that seem to stretch for a whole kilometer if you could have one of those billboards for an entire month and you can put whatever message you want that's going to be broadcast to all of Dubai what message would you put on it
1: it's okay not to be perfect Hmm. that's what I would say because we put so much pressure on ourselves to be perfect all the time. And there's really, really not enough time in the day to give, or as I said, not enough space in one's head to be perfect at everything all the time. We have to prioritize. We have to say, all right, look, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And I'm okay with it. Mm-hmm. I think acceptance and being okay with imperfection is, is lacking.
0: hmm we all hold ourselves to such high standards because that's how we think that everybody else thinks about us, you know, and then it just creates this culture where, you know, we set unrealistic expectations, you know, for ourselves and it's makes it very tough, you know?
1: Yeah. And what kind of a life is that? That's Mm. I mean, it's not the life I want, Mm -hmm. you know, I mean, there are certain things like today I want to be a great mom, you know, Mm -hmm. I want to cook a great meal or I want to, you know, have a fantastic podcast recording. Mm -hmm. Okay. Maybe I can do two or three of those things in one day. Mm -hmm. Fine. Mm -hmm. But then if I'm going to say, and I want to spend two hours in the gym and I want to, uh, you know, tidy my, uh, filing cabinet and I want, forget it. Like just, you know, focus on the two or three things that you can achieve that day Mm And be okay Mm -hmm. with the imperfection of the rest.
0: Mm -hmm. And it's not about setting the bar low. No, I know, you know, you, you set the the bar very high in everything that you do. It's just about prioritizing those things that are really important and have the most impact. Is that right? Yeah,
1: Absolutely. I would say focus the 80% on what you prioritize and 20% across everything else. So everything else isn't only not perfect. Yeah. It's crap. (laughs) Sure. You know, and that's okay.
0: Right but you produce amazing results on things that really matter.
1: Yeah. You have to focus on the things and focus most of your energy on the, like the vast majority, the 80% focus on the things that really, really
0: matter. I'm with you. I'm with you. Thanks for sharing that. That's good. That's good. Um, So Rana, I've seen you all over town recently at lots of different conferences and speaking venues and events, um, which is fantastic. Can you tell us just a little bit about the different places that you've been speaking?
1: Yeah, with pleasure. I have spoken at a few companies so Unilever and CBI, for example, and Insiad in Abu Dhabi invited me over for the day, mm-hmm. and that was a lot of fun. I have a few more speaking engagements coming up later this month, and I really, really enjoy them. I mean, it's the audience is always different; their interests are always different, mm-hmm. and it's exciting to me to learn also from their questions. Mm-hmm. And so I do, I, I, learn a lot from them and it really feeds kind of my work. It feeds, you know, well, what kind of information are they, do they need? Where's the, Where are the gaps? What speaker, what, who should I interview on when women win? What questions should I ask? Mm-hmm. Um, or what content should I create for LinkedIn? You know, mm-hmm. depending on these. So I really enjoy my speaking engagements. There are many, there have been many in March. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it'll cool down, I think in April <laughs> sure. for sure. Um, but uh, yeah, highly enjoyable.
0: Mm-hmm. And what is the, I, I guess you said the content ranges widely based on the needs of the audience, but are you typically talking about women's empowerment, gender parity, those kinds of things?
1: Yeah. Those, those kinds of things. I mean, I'm a business woman, mm. so I talk a lot about sort of doing business. Mm-hmm. Um, I get asked about, you know, being a doing business in a man's world, that Mm -hmm. kind of stuff. Obviously my passion is gender parity. Mm -hmm. So I do get asked to talk about that. I have, you know, I do the research, I have the data, I have the figures. Um, I have the, you know, the network. So yeah, I talk a lot about, I mean, different stuff, different things, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: um, along those themes.
0: So, what are you excited about, you know, in these upcoming next few months?
1: So we have lots of exciting stuff still to do on When Women Win. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, it is a weekly podcast. And so that's a lot of work. And it's it's work that I love, but it's still, uh, you know, mm-hmm. ours. And the other thing that I'm really looking forward to is the Elevate Dubai Annual Forum, which is coming up on April 22nd. Mm-hmm. So I, I mentioned Elevate Dubai earlier. And we're a big business women's network here. And we host two networking events every single month. Mm. But then once a year, we have a big one. Mm -hmm. And that's coming up in a few weeks' time. And I'm super excited. The theme is future-proofed. Okay. So how to future-proof yourself personally and professionally. Mm -hmm. And uh, we have some great speakers lined up. And um, if you could include the link to the the show notes, that'd be great. And it's for men and women. Mm Mm-hmm. Because future-proofing is gender-neutral.
0: Of course, yeah, for everybody.
1: For everybody. So yeah, I'm excited about that. April 22nd, Hala Ghorani from CNN is going to be our host for the day.
0: Okay. Very yeah. exciting. And so it's a one day event, um, you know, full of speakers, networking opportunities. Are there any workshops or anything like that?
1: It's uh, panels and networking uh, okay. sessions. Yeah. Okay. So we have a couple of speakers, a couple of panels mm-hmm. and, uh, one, uh, sort of freestyle networking session and then one
0: structured networking break. Okay. Fantastic. Yeah. And again, what date is that?
1: april 22nd sunday and it's going to be at the address uh, marina
0: all right so to all the listeners make sure you sign up to be there for that um rana this has been amazing thank you so much for for all your time is there anything else that you want to share with the listeners
1: no i mean uh, thank you for having me on the show Please do get in touch if you have any uh, ideas or feedback on When Women Win. I'm Mm -hmm. reachable through my website, renanawas.com, or as I said, through Instagram, at renanawas. And I'd really love to hear from you, uh, Mm -hmm. from the listeners. I really would. So please reach out. Thank you.
0: Fantastic. Thank you so much. You can check out this episode's show notes on our website at streamsofprogress.com slash when women win we'd love to connect with you so follow us on facebook and instagram or reach out via our website if you can please take a few minutes to give us an honest rating on itunes this really makes a huge difference and improves our ability to reach more people in the uae and beyond we hope you enjoyed the show and look forward to seeing you next week on streams of progress